Hey everyone, it's Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival, and this week's podcast, I've got a real special treat for you, because I'm getting ready to go to On Point Tactical's Urban Escape and Evasion course in the month of November in Austin, Texas, and I've been looking forward to this for a long time. This is really where you get thrown in the back of a truck or into a trunk, you're whisked off as a hostage of a terrorist group, and you then have to know how to escape from bondage as well as how to evade your pursuers in an urban terrain. And that evasion is a really tricky thing, especially when you've got very talented people that are after you. So I managed to get Kevin Reeve, who's the owner of On Point Tactical and the head instructor for the course, on the phone. He's a friend of mine. And what I wanted were his best tips for how to be what he calls the gray man. How do you blend in with your surroundings and become virtually invisible so that people can't find you that are out looking for you. This has a lot of practical application that we talk about in things like societal meltdown or even during periods of martial law. So there's some great tips in this. I know you're going to get a lot out of it. I know that it's going to help me keep his guys off my tail once we go through the course. So check this out. I know you're going to have fun. Bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging. Would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. When I was in basic training, my fellow soldiers and I had a simple goal to get through the eight weeks of drill instructor induced torture without them knowing our name. Now, if the instructors knew your name, it was likely that it was because you had screwed up so many times that they had you in their crosshairs to whip you into shape with extra details and, of course, lots of extra push-ups. But if you were able to blend into the pack to lay low and relatively unnoticed, then chances are you could skate right through the training without a lot of additional stress and a lot more free time. That's sort of how we look at how we should conduct ourselves during a breakdown in civil order following a disaster crisis, or an all-out collapse, to become what we refer to as a gray man, camouflaged among your fellow citizens, prepared yet also kind of a ghost that doesn't draw unwanted attention that could get you and your family into trouble, even threaten your lives. And that's exactly what we're here to discuss in this special broadcast as we explore exactly how to develop your gray man skills to protect yourself and your family in a collapse. Hello everyone, Jeff Anderson here, editor of Modern Combat and Survival Magazine, with another podcast to help you better prepare in your role as a protector and a patriot. And to discuss how to make yourself virtually invisible during a crisis, we're joined by survival trainer Kevin Reeve. Kevin, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks. Good to be back. Listen, uh, Kevin's training covers practically every area of the beginner and advanced level tactics that you need to survive, even the most worst conditions. From urban escape and evasion to scouting and tracking and a host of other training, Kevin travels throughout the United States showing fellow survivalists and patriots the skills they need to truly be prepared for any scenario and keep themselves and their families safe from harm in the absence of the infrastructures our society has become so dependent on. Now, for more information about Kevin and to check out his training schedule, be sure to visit his website at www.onpointtactical.com. Kevin, when it comes to surviving during civil disorder and martial law, we, of course, don't want to make ourselves a target for predators that might be in the area. 
And there are essentially basically three ways I can see doing this. One is to is to move in a large enough force, like in a survival team or something of that nature, where you're threatening enough that the predators that are around you are going to move on to easier targets and leave you alone. Another way is to perhaps move when predators in the area are not vigilant. You know, finding out when they're maybe more active or in the areas that they are and, and that they might be in and then making sure that you're not there during those times in order to avoid them. A third area that you might be able to do is is a more flexible. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about what you call the gray man strategy. So, so for our listeners, what exactly is a gray man strategy and why is it important? Well, if you're in, an, in a city environment, an urban environment, you're going to be around a lot of other people. It's unavoidable. That's the very nature of, of an urban environment is high population density. The gray man is the person who, and the gray man strategy is the person who learns how to blend in, how to not draw attention to himself, create no stimulus that anybody would notice. Our memory is triggered by, by stimulus, things that we remember, and uh, whether subconscious or conscious. And so, the perfect gray man is the person who doesn't create any stimulus. So when we walk past uh, a group of people, nobody notices us. And um, it, is a, it, is a, it is a tricky thing to do. It's difficult to pull off. There are certain parameters that make it possible uh, in terms of, uh, of your personal size and weight and height and so forth. But it's really a, it's really a strategy that's based on not creating stimulus. So part of part of uh, avoiding problems is having your radar on high without looking like it. You know, you don't want to have your head on a swivel. Uh, you just want to be walking along. And it, it, it's astonishing how how much that very change in attitude of paying attention to what's going around you without looking like you're paying attention. Um, how that changes the way people look at you. People don't view you as prey anymore. They look at you as somebody they don't want to mess with. So there's a couple of things going on. The gray man is is walking through an area without drawing any attention, without doing any of the behaviors that indicate uh, I'm a I'm a prey animal. Pick on me, and, and giving away or uh, giving a, a vibe that says I'm paying it. So in a way, that's not a gray man maneuver. In a way, by by maintaining high situational awareness, if I can do that while maintaining a gray attitude, then I move through the periphery without anybody ever really noticing, and I'm aware of any threat. Kind of a, a middle ground is what the gray man is. He doesn't look like he's easy to easy to take, um, and he doesn't look like he's hard to take. He just isn't there. Got it. And Kevin, a lot of what you train is about how to override the body's instinctive survival mechanisms via the reticular activating system, or RAS. But what Correct. exactly what exactly is the RAS, and what role does it play in avoiding detection during periods of civil breakdown? Well, the reticular activating system is the filter in the brain uh, that re- reduces, uh, I guess you would say, bandwidth issues. So the eye is sending a perfect picture down the optic nerve to the brain. It reaches the reticular activating system, and the reticular activating system filters out information that it deems unessential. Now, this can work two different ways. Uh, it, it allows us to move in that, what we call dead space. Uh, and if we move through dead space, then um, we are invisible for all intents and purposes. 
but it also allows us to turn off filters in our own head and uh, and start to see things a little bit more completely. The filters are, are things that are designed to save, conserve energy, to save bandwidth. For example, if you're sitting in your house, you probably don't notice the refrigerator going off and on or the air conditioner turning off and on because that isn't an important piece of information. I, uh, and, and it, but it can be visual too. When we scan the environment, the brain is filtering out things that aren't, it deems unessential and uh, is looking for things that it considers essential. It's looking for human shape. It's looking for bright colors, sharp contrast, straight lines, things that, that just draw it to it. And, and it filters out areas of continuous tone and shadow. So if I'm trying to adopt the gray mass strategy, I'm looking for that dead space where the eyes never, uh, where the brain never filters. I mean, where the brain does filter, where it never recognizes. So I'm trying to find areas that the, the brain doesn't look. The, the brain is skipping over, it's averaging. So you're trying to be, so you're trying to become that like be that blending in that other yes. other people's brains won't necessarily pick up on or or the authorities wouldn't pick up on because like a lot of police a, know what to look for like they could pass by yeah. a car going the opposite direction and just from the way that the person looks or something out of out of sync can I'll give catch you, their I'll eye. give you a good example. I have a friend that works in in, uh, in security in a fairly large chain store. Can't name it, but he uh, he sits in a room and monitors a bank of camera monitors. You know, there'll be a bank of forty or fifty monitors, and his job is to sit there and watch these things. Or he has people that he supervises that do that. And I said, "How do you know when you have a shoplift?" He says, "Oh, it's really easy." He says, "Sit here and watch." And he points to a guy and says, "See, this guy is about to shoplift." I go, "How can you tell?" He says, "Well, what? Where do you stand normally?" When you want, when you want to scan the shelves. I says, well, about three and a half, four feet back, so I can see a lot of product. He goes, exactly. Where's that guy standing? Well, about 10 inches from the shelf. And he says, that's the behavior. Mm. That's out of baseline behavior, we call it, or not gray behavior. The normal person stands four feet back. The shoplifter stands up about 10 inches from the shelf, looks around furtively and shoves something up under a shirt. So, that's the that's what cops do. They they instinctively, or I shouldn't say instinctively, they're trained to pick out that kind of behavior. Uh, and in an urban environment, predators are very very aware of, of what we would call um, the people who have those filters on high, who just aren't paying attention. Low situational awareness. They look for that because it's easy prey. No, Kevin, the, the common term that we use in the military for blending in is camouflage. And the Correct. uniform, the uniform that we wear is a big part of that. Since obviously, I mean, this is the largest square footage of you that's visible. So Correct. what exactly are your recommendations for dressing in gray man camouflage for a collapse like scenario? Well, let me give you a, kind of an overview of the gray man. He's very average in height, 5'9 to 5'11. He's not overweight. He's not underweight. He's not exceptionally skinny. He's not exceptionally heavy. So his body type is a very normal baseline body type. His dress tends to be earth tones, grays, blues, greens. Not bright red, not shock 
orange. You know, there's nothing about him that stands out. It's all very plain. So let's say he's got gray pants and a blue shirt. He might have very, very nondescript shoes. You're not going to look at it and say, wow, he's got the latest Air Jordan. Because that's a stimulus. His hair is not long. It's not short. It's just regular medium haircut. He doesn't have a big nose. He has just a regular facial feature. Nothing about him says stimulus. So the dress is really important. It's very important that you don't have, you don't want 1970 disco clothes. Right? You don't want, uh, you don't want super, uh, hip hop or super, uh, I don't know, whatever is, whatever is super stylish mm-hmm. either. You want just really basic, nondescript clothing. What about like so, the, um, the typical, like, you know, 5'11 tactical pants, infidel t-shirt and, yeah. uh, and Oakley, uh, sunglasses? Yeah, we call that shoot me first, the shoot me first outfit. <laughs> right. So yeah, 511 shoot me first pants, the Oakleys, all that's a dead giveaway. Now I like to wear that stuff because it's functional. But if I'm trying to blend in, it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a tactical, even something as simple as a parachute bracelet. Right? I, I, I love wearing, I love having that parachute cord on me. But the parachute cord bracelet is a dead giveaway to somebody that I'm tactical. By the way, what I do instead is I wear it around the top of my boot a little bit longer, mm-hmm. and it's under my pants, and you can't see it. Yeah. Still have the paracord, but it's worn around my ankle instead of my instead of my uh, wrist. Right. And some people even, like, make belts out of them, which gives yeah. you a whole lot of cord, which can go under yeah. a shirt, too. Yeah. 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 So... Yeah. Um, the the ideas of the of the five elevens and the you know the the hideaway shirt and the hideaway uh, gun pocket shirt and the Oakley sunglasses and the shaved head and the tan uh, or the desert tactical boots all that stuff that was the rage in two thousand five is just not gray man yeah yeah. We're talking with Kevin Reeve of OnPointTactical.com about how to develop your gray man skills in the midst of a crisis or collapse. And we'll be back in just a minute with more questions as I ask Kevin about invisible urban navigation as well as how you can spot potential threats that might lie in await. But first, check out this message. In any disaster, crisis, or attack, your life and the life of those you love could solely rest on the survival gear you've acquired. Do you have the proper gear to protect you from the threats you'll face? Whether it's preparing your home against the destruction and mayhem of a city in chaos, or you're bugging out to a safer location when a natural disaster forces you from your home, the supplies you have right now could ensure your survival or seal your fate. Don't take the risk. Claim your free copy of our exclusive guide, Survival Gear Secrets, at survivalgearsecrets.com and discover the seven-phase survival gear plan every family must prepare for or face the consequences. Five no-bullshit warning signs that a collapse is headed your way, so you're already in action long before your neighbors even know what hit them. 
and how to know exactly when it's safer to stay at home and shelter in place. Or get in the family bug out mobile and get the hell out of Dodge. Your fellow citizens may be fine with sleeping in a crowded stadium waiting for FEMA to hand them a granola bar, juice box, and a blankie. But you know that no one can protect your family better than you can if you're properly prepared with the right supplies and equipment to ensure your survival. Don't wait until it's too late. Find out what's missing from your survival gear plan by grabbing your free copy of Survival Gear Secrets now at www.survivalgearsecrets.com. And now, back to our show. Okay, we're back with Kevin Reeve of OnPointTactical.com to discuss how to develop your gray man camouflage skills to survive during a breakdown in civil order. Now, Kevin, besides how you dress to avoid detection in a collapsed environment, there are other ways that you can either blend in or stand out with a big loot me sign taped to your back. One of those ways is simply in how you project yourself to those around you through your actions and mannerisms. What maybe three tips can you offer for how your actions and mannerisms, how people should conduct themselves when in public in order to not make themselves a target for thieves, beggars, and the authorities? Well, if you're not visible, if you don't stimulate any response, if there's no stimulus, then you're just ignored. There's, there is in every neighborhood something that we call the baseline, which is the sound, noise, activity, motion level for that area. And if you can figure out what the baseline is for a neighborhood, every neighborhood has a different baseline, uh, then you can blend in. Even if you're not of the same racial characteristics, if you can just learn how to move like somebody who belongs there. It takes a little bit of study, but with, within five minutes of walking into a neighborhood, I should be able to figure out what the baseline is. Hmm. <coughs> so I walk into Chinatown and I watch. And the people move at a certain speed, they talk at a certain volume, they gesture, they have social distancing that's different than, than it is over by the convention center. Over by the convention center, it's almost all tourists. They have a different uh, movement speed. Uh, they, they social space different. Their distancing is different. Their volume is different. Their interaction is different. Then I move over into uh, one of the ethnic neighborhoods, more uh, a different, say, Hispanic neighborhood. Very different baseline there. Part of what your training is is to learn how to match that baseline. In our urban escape innovation class, we spend a lot of time working on how to figure out the baseline. So if you blend into the baseline, that is the uh, probably one of the most important aspects of being a gray man, is not being any different from the regular person. I don't know if that helps, but that's kind of a, 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 a quick overview of the baseline concept. It just takes a minute or two of observation to see what people are doing and how fast they're walking and what kind of uh, uh, awareness they're projecting, what kind of you know, uh, social distancing and volume and gestures and, and how fast they talk and how loud they talk. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes total sense. It's just it's not something that people normally even think about, mostly because probably people live in their baseline. They're already blending into where they normally are. But right. in, in a collapse or, or you know, you're, in, you're having to move through an urban environment, you're not in your baseline anymore. So most people probably don't even think like about a baseline or stop and say, OK, I need to study this baseline and see how I need to act differently. Yeah. And. 
And that is, that is the, the thing. It's really funny because when you're in an environment where you're trying to hurry in our escape and evasion class during the final exercise, people are trying to get from point A to point B without being seen. But the way we catch them is that they break the baseline all the time. They're always going way faster than the rest of the people. And they're looking over their shoulder furtively for fear of being captured. And those behaviors are so out of the baseline that we catch them all the time. So the very act of trying not to get caught causes them to get caught. And so learning how to look around you, see what speed, what what the baseline symphony, we call it, is for that area teaches you how to blend in. Yeah, got it. Now, Kevin, one of the things one of the things we talk about when operating in urban environments after a collapse is the need to navigate your way through these areas as if they were like hidden there were hidden minefields there. I mean, you could have you could have checkpoints, neighborhoods where other survival teams have been you know they've set up a turf that you're unaware of, or there could even be scouts or predators lurking around waiting for like that that next sheep to enter the target zone. Now, your courses offer a wide variety of training and evasion, as well as tracking and things like that. So, assuming that bypassing an area isn't an option, what secrets can you share with us for how to navigate through unknown populated areas without highlighting yourself as a target? Well, again, learning the baseline is very important. Uh, Being able to look at the – we we strongly emphasize knowledge of terrain. So, if if I live 20 miles away from work, I want to know that area between home and work exceptionally well. I want to have a primary escape route, a secondary, a tertiary. Um, I want to know where the choke points are that would naturally be used for uh, for checkpoints. I want to know what street gangs are in the area. I want to know um, what the crime rate is in the area. There's a, a list of a hundred things that we have you work on, and so you create kind of a an area of operations factbook for your for that area so that you know all this stuff in advance. Now, if you're just thrown into something, you know, you're walking into a blind. You, you really, unless you have knowledge of terrain, you're going to have to use awareness skills and, and, and binoculars and whatever else you have to get into cover or get into concealment and study the area, then move through it, and then study it again and move through it and, and, and inch your way along. But what we consider really important is the four preparation. We call it uh, situational diligence or due diligence before you get to the area uh, or as you work and live in the area, you build a knowledge base about the area so that I know when the buses come and I know when the buses are safe to ride and not safe to ride. I know, um, I know what other forms of transportation are available. Is there a train or a transit, you know, light rail? What else is there? So I'm looking at transportation systems. I'm looking at all the road information. Is it a one-lane, two-lane, center divide, no center divide, center lane, turn lane? Is the street uh, lit at night or not? What stores are there along the way? What, what are, where are the natural checkpoints, bridges, choke points that they could use for checkpoints that would be really easy to avoid? Uh, you know, I'm, and, and, and by having primary, secondary, tertiary routes, you're, you're avoiding, you know, one of the things I always say, is avoid the main routes because that's where everyone goes. Avoid the interstates. Avoid the main highways. Stick to a smaller routes, smaller roads, r- rural and urban paths. Find ways around what will be a huge choke point. So, yeah, there's a lot of study that goes into that in advance. It's actually something that's really fun to do. 
Um, I always ask people in class, I say, how far away are you from work? And someone will say 20 miles. I said, okay. What can you tell me about what neighborhoods there are in the, in the 20 miles between work and home? Well, I don't know. I take the freeway. I said, well, okay, if the freeway is blocked and you have to go through the neighborhoods, do you know which ones you can choose and which ones you can avoid? Uh, no. I said, well, that's probably a good place to start. Just start going the 20 miles, drive it on tertiary, uh, secondary roads, and see what the neighborhoods are like. You can usually tell a bad neighborhood, right? What are the indicator businesses? You know, tattoo parlors and uh, pawn shops. It's usually an indication that you're not in the best neighborhood. Maybe not, but, you know, it, it, it's been one of those things that, you know, massage parlors, they're, they're what we call the indicator businesses for a, for a rough neighborhood. And so if you drive it, you'll see those na- those businesses. You'll say, well, it's maybe not a good neighborhood. Drive through it. See what it looks like. Say, if I'm on foot trying to cover this 20 miles, what am I going to be looking at? How can I figure out a route around this particular neighborhood? What's my route around this park? You know, how do I, how do I, and, and all this is just done in advance. This is all planned out based on a knowledge base that you build every time you drive. What if you get are the interstate? Get off the interstate and just start taking notes. What if you are in an unknown area that you're that you're having to pass through, like an unknown area? Are there any like safer routes? Uh, I mean, because you, you know you might not know where the the tattoo parlors and the massage parlors are and things like that. Right. But like our train track, like as an example, like are our train tracks a better route than taking roads? You know that sort of a thing. Are, are there safer routes? Train tracks are a good route. Um, another one is uh, the right of ways that they clear for big power lines. So there's usually a right of way along the edge of a power line, and you always want to travel in the full inside the tree line about 15 or 20 feet rather than out in the middle of the tree, of the of the swath. But um, there's there's for example, in LA, you might be able to use the storm drain system as a uh, as a covered route or an area to travel through. Whereas, um, you know, it may not be the highways. There, there, there's always some route of escape that that allows. So, the more industrial, generally, the less popular. Route. Mm-hmm. So, if you have to go through an, a choice between a, a residential neighborhood, a rough residential neighborhood, and industrial. Flip over a couple of blocks to that neighborhood. Yeah. Okay. So, Kevin, one of the other factors of being able to survive under extreme conditions of a collapse is to not only avoid standing out as a target and being the gray man, but also being able to identify threats yourself. And this is going to be pretty challenging when others are becoming more adept at blending in themselves. I mean, people are going to learn what to do and what not to do, I guess, as time goes on. And so, you know, what are some of the red flags that we can look for in order to detect a threat early enough to either avoid an attack or take action to protect ourselves? Yeah, it's a, that's a tough challenge. It's, it's always hard to know uh, if somebody is spoofing you or if they're seriously not a threat. Like one of the, one of the uh, most effective methods of getting people to leave you alone is to act crazy. Nobody likes to mess with them. Even the even the predators don't like to mess with a crazy guy because they're completely unpredictable. So that's a that's a a, a reasonable. Uh, it's kind of counter to the gray man, but it's a reasonable way of getting through an area. Uh, and what you don't know when you see somebody else doing it is whether they're really crazy if they're just 
using that as a as a way to get up on you, to get close to you. So your your radar has to be on all the time, and, and it's hard to do that without looking like it's on all the time. It takes a lot of practice to pay attention to what's happening around you without anybody else knowing what's happening that you're doing it. Right? I don't want to do the head on the swivel thing because that is uh, that is the giveaway, that is the tell. So it, the challenge is, you know, how do I do this without giving myself away to them? And how do I see if they're doing something that, you know, and, and, and I don't have a, I don't have a concise answer to that. It well, it sounds, a- yeah, it sounds like, I mean, we talk about like a baseline. I mean, part of studying the baseline for, you know, what people's mannerisms are in an area and things like mm-hmm. that, you know, part of that study process, if you're, you know, you're kind of, your radar is up in study mode you're probably able to also pick out things that are outside of the baseline. I think that would be like a natural thing that would kind of stand out. Unless unless they're exceptionally trained, they won't know baseline. They won't know how to blend in. And so they'll be doing behaviors that will be tells to their predatory nature. It's really hard to find somebody who can do that movement. I mean, this is a very small percentage of the population that can do baseline movement, that can do um, gray man, because it takes a lot of practice. And it's just something nobody would think to do. So predators tend to give themselves away just by the way they stand and move and act and walk. You know, you can tell a predator when when you see him coming down the street uh, just by the way he carries himself. Yeah. I think maybe one of the the easier people to pick out would be some sort of authorities. I mean, I, I think that unless somebody is like a, a secret agent type of a, you know in that type of a of, an, of a law enforcement position or something like that, right. they're, they're t- they never have a reason to be gray man unless they're working undercover. In which in which case they're like experts at it, right? But you know, people who might be regular uniform cops never have to worry about blending in. They pretty much, I guess, they're wear, they wear the uniform and they kind of walk around with chest puffed out and they know they've got sure. this authority that they project. And that's got to be hard for them if they're like maybe in plain clothes, maybe they're implanted in a certain area to try and keep an eye on things or to try and blend in. Unless they've received training in that or even thinking about it, oftentimes they're probably pretty easy to spot with that head swivel, you know, the kind of looking around um, kind of that thousand miles stare in the eyes that, you know, the no smile or anything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. One time, a couple of friends of, uh, of mine and I were standing in a mall. We were doing a, a surveillance exercise. And my buddy looks at uh, this guy on the elevator. And this is a trained operator, really high level guy. Looks at me and says, see that guy down there? I go, yeah. He goes, he's a fed. I go, what do you mean? I said, he's a federal law enforcement officer. I said, how do you know? He says, well, first of all, he's, I can see the the uh, he's printing his weapon is printing. I can see it on his shirt. Man, you can see that. He goes, yeah. And I said, now and he says, now watch. And as he's going up the elevator, his head swivels left and then back around to the right. He goes up in a big circle around, covering the ceiling. He says, see how aware he is. That is that is something that's been trained into him. He's scanning the environment constantly, looking for threats and. And uh, and doing you know threat assessment, doing uh, exits, looking for all the stuff that is is going to be 
essential to, the, to his being able to do his job. I said, so you could, I said, he said, that's what gave him weight. He said, there was this high level of awareness that told me he was a federal officer. Plus it was the white shirt, the tie. Uh, he said the cheap shoes and uh, he, he listed about five other things. I was <laughs> laughing pretty hard. But at this point, it really dawned on me that that high level of awareness, that head on a swivel is counter gray man. Yeah. So he had this guy pegged simply because the guy was aware, extremely aware and showing the awareness. Now I said, so how do you do that? He says, watch me, I'll go do it. So he goes down and rides the escalator. He gets the same scan, the same information without ever turning his head. It was astonishing how he did it, but he was very, very much a green man. This guy is such a green man, astonishingly offensive. And, uh, you know, that's what he gets paid to do. Right. Well, Kevin, these are just really great tips. I mean, there's a lot of information there for people to really, you know, stuff that they can put to use right away. I mean, studying a baseline. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do right now. You don't have to wait for a collapse of society right. to, to go ahead and practice this stuff. So I really yeah, appreciate just go it. Sit, go sit on a park bench uh, or, or a bus stop and watch people go by and say, what is the baseline here? Yeah. At, at 8 o'clock in the morning, people's baseline is is rapid to get to work. You know, at, at two in the afternoon, people are moving at a completely different baseline. So the baseline changes not only by neighborhood, but by time of day. Right. And so, you know, it's really helpful just to sit and observe uh, in different times of day, what does this neighborhood look like? And then figure out that baseline. It's not hard, but it takes some observation. Yeah. It takes some thinking. Yeah. Well, now's the time to do it, folks. And listen, Definitely go and check out Kevin's courses. I'm scheduled for one that's coming up, so I'm going to be putting this stuff to use here very soon and uh, and giving it a try. And I'd love to see you guys at these at these courses as well. I'm going to be scheduled for more in the future. So you can check out his training schedule and other collapse survival tips at his website at www.onpointtactical.com. And until our next Modern Combat Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying train hard, stay safe, prepare now. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.